Rossi, Rossi, Rossi! Oi, oi, oi! Charlie, it is that time. Every four years, an extra six months if there was a corrupt selection process that gives the World Cup to Qatar. But alas, we're here. I'm very excited. I could cry thinking about this tournament and what it means to me, all the players who will be playing, and... Are you ready to get into this, Charlie? I'm excited. I mean, this is the pinnacle of everything we talk about and watch on a weekly basis. Seeing all these players fight for their national teams, they always play harder. You know, they kick it up a gear. It's kind of like March Madness in college basketball. It's just higher intensity than any other tournament game you could possibly watch. So I'm super fucking excited. I'm super fucking excited as well because this is how I fell in love with soccer. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. I'm holding back tears. You can hear it now, but eight years ago... In Costa Rica, on the U.S. side, that was Clint Dempsey's goal 30 seconds into the first match against Ghana. For a plastic American like me who needs goals, especially at that time in my footballing life, that was huge for buy-in. We, of course, lost despite Tim Howard's best efforts against Belgium and their 30 shots on target. But it wasn't so much the U.S.'s campaign that made me fall in love with this sport. It was being in Costa Rica as they made it out of the group of death group that featured England, Italy, Uruguay. They were the definite underdog, but somehow they made it out at Italy and Uruguay's expense. And I was there on a trip, landing the day of their round of 16 battle against Greece, winning on penalties, watching that in a Costa Rican restaurant. Kaylor Navas announcing himself to the world. That's the backdrop. Sadly, Tim Cruel absolutely ruined (laughs) that nation's hopes, but... Ever since then, I've been tuning in to the Premier League following international soccer. I had a similar experience like four years ago. I think I was into soccer already a little more at that point, but this really gave me full buy. And I was in London for the World Cup when they made a run to the semis. I think they got knocked out by Croatia. But just going to pubs for every single game, it was the best environment ever. I instantly fell in love with it and how passionate everyone was about this team. Of course, I bought a Harry Kane jersey while I was there. And the best part was um, the entire city of London would stop selling booze the day England played because they knew people were going to get nice and drunk already at the pub, so they didn't need to throw extra gasoline on that fire selling Old Speckled Hen out of their (laughs) local convenience stores. I think this is one of the most exciting tournaments, too, as an American, not really even because of the team and the fact that they're looking pretty okay, I guess, but more so that so many Americans have bought into soccer now. So we can go to bars here and they'll be packed for the games, which I feel like was not the case in the last few World Cups. Just the popularity of the game has grown so much. So I think it's going to be more exciting just having everyone watching it and talking about it. And absence makes the heart grow fonder. To kind of round out the backdrop of this tournament, my favorite part is seeing the fans who travel across the world, players from all over the world, Not just Europe, even though we get a little snotty about European football on this podcast, but from every continent, players come, fulfilling lifelong dreams, crying during their national anthems. Where else do you expect to see so many grown men in a concentrated area crying so profusely? Outside of support groups, I can't think of anything. (laughs) No. Yeah, that's probably 
right, just support groups. But let's get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode. We're going to go group by group, all eight groups, all 32 teams. We'll try to have this serve as a comprehensive World Cup guide, keeping it at a high level for some of the casuals as far as what storylines are, big players. But then we got to scratch our scouting itch, predicting who's going to break out, players that might play in smaller leagues that we think are deserving of bigger moves, and who might use this huge tournament to get a big move in the next 6 to 12 months. And as always, we're going to rip some jokes, some of which should probably be cut but won't be. So let's get into it, shall we? Starting with Group A. Let's do it. Group A, the Qatari group. Qatar, who, let's say, have no business being here. <laughs> <laughs> they they paid their way to FIFA. Can, you know, I had to convince them with a couple of duffel bags of cash for yep. FIFA to allow them to host and then be in this tournament. Surprisingly, their team isn't as bad as you would think because on top of that, they've been paying people to join the Qatar national team. Qatari. Yes. So when you look at the Qatar national team, you'll notice that demographically, they don't look like they're from Qatar. And it's because they're not, but they're all citizens. So It's weird because you're like, I didn't know there's so many Brazilian Qatari <laughs> citizens out there. But the rest of the group does look pretty interesting. We got Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands off the top. Really feels like Netherlands and Senegal are going to lock down the two spots at the top. Senegal, reigning AFCON champions. They're always a ton of fun to watch and one of our favorite African teams by far. And the Netherlands, one of the dark horses in this tournament. You look at their squad top to bottom and on paper it looks incredible. I know there's questions about their manager and their play style over the last five years, but you just read off some of the names. Delict, Van Dyke, Dumfries, Timber in defense, and then you got like great midfielders and Coop Miners, Frankie de Jong. It's just a well-rounded squad and one that you could see being very tough to beat in the knockout stages. Taking a bit of a step back, looking at the group, on paper should just be a three-team group, but as you mentioned a little bit, that fourth team happens to be Qatar, and if they can manage to convince FIFA to give them a World Cup, as they've shown... There's no telling the influence they can wield on a lowly referee from San Marino who's happy to be there blowing his whistle. So mm. Yeah, what's the over-under on duffel bags that have been given to referees so far? I would say 17 and a half. Okay. You know, I think total yellow cards for the tournament have been set at over-under 609.5. I saw that. We need a, like a black market sports book to give us odds on this because... <laughs> I want someone to monitor the refs at their homes and see how many duffel bags are going in and out. Yeah, ESPN has the Manning cam. We should, despite him being no longer affiliated with FIFA, just have a set bladder cam. He's doing something during this tournament, that's for sure. I don't know if he's still locked up, if he's out, but... Actually, if we may just go into this side pocket, he's actually trying to use the Qatari scandal to his benefit. He's saying, oh, the current organizers of FIFA... They can't handle this. The World Cup never should have been given to Qatar. <laughs> Iran should not be at this World Cup given all the protests and government intervention that is horribly going on in the country. FIFA needs leadership. They need someone who's been there. Really just saying FIFA needs Sepp Blatter, the prodigal FIFA son, to return. Sepp, good try. You dodged some charges on bribery, but quit your yapping. <laughs> yeah, quiet down, quiet down. 
Back to the teams in the group. General consensus, as you said, Senegal and Netherlands to both make it through. But I think I can speak for both of us when we say we're excited for Ecuador to see what this team puts out. We trust we'll be spunky with the Brighton boys, a.k.a. Moises Caicedo, Pervis Estupinian, and even the youngster Jeremy Sarmiento should figure to play a lot in this tournament. I'm also excited to see the young defense in action as well. Piero Hincapié, 20-year-old left-sided center back who's played a few seasons now at Leverkusen. And Jackson Perozo, a man I've never really watched, but just following his career arc on FootMob and his physical features, 6'4", 22-year-old center back currently playing in Liga at Troyes. Troyes, how do we say that? Troyes, because we're American. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be exciting just to see if they can hold their own against Senegal and the Netherlands, especially with Cody Gakpo and Memphis Depay bearing down on them. But outside the defense and Caicedo in the midfield, most of these remaining players are based in North America, either in the MLS, specifically at LAFC. If you look at LAFC, there are like four 23-year-old Ecuadorians littered throughout the squad. So really? I like to see it. Yeah. yeah interesting champions of the cup yeah so maybe the ecuadorian strategy is ahead of its time in mls other players plan their trade in mexico but that's not to be snobby because i feel kind of like a girl who only likes guys over six foot six foot two preferably that's kind of how we are with domestic players where they play in the professional football we only like the europeans a yeah. lot of the times but we got to remember, just two years ago, Moises Caicedo was still playing in Ecuador. So I'm going to boldly predict here that someone else on this Ecuador team is going to make a name for themselves and get a move to the continent that used to be best in the world, but is still the best in the world for football, Europe. Love it. Should we move on to Group B, which is probably the biggest one for us because, one, we're huge Premier League fans. So we watch a lot of these England players all the time. And... Our home country, the USA, rounded out by Wales and Iran, who are not too shabby. Not too shabby. I mean, this group, technically speaking, in the FIFA rankings is like the highest average ranking. Not that those mean anything, but just thought it was worthy to call out. No, that very worthy. (laughs) (laughs) Also, this one is just inherently political. You look at all the countries here. Maybe I just have a US-centric view But U.S. England, bad blood here because we caught that big dub in the Revolutionary War. This is round two, U.S. versus Iran. We were like, hey, how about you guys aren't making nukes? Then they stormed our embassy. Argo the movie was produced. Mm. Great critical acclaim. And now we're here to settle the score. That was actually a direct quote from the diplomatic relations. (laughs) Like, hey, yo, no nukes. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, if I have to look for one more angle, U.S. versus Wales, couldn't find any wars on record, but based on the 2011 census, there were 3,700 Americans living in Wales, so we can assume they were all prisoners of some sort, because... That's not a choice to make. Outside of Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds, I don't think anyone of American citizenship chooses to live in Wales, respectfully. (laughs) It was very disrespectfully, but respectfully. (laughs) Respectfully. Um, As far as the side trade here, too, be on the lookout for how the ownership group of Wrexham, Reynolds, and McElhenney are going to play this one when U.S. plays Wales, right? Because they're going to have to toe the line. 
That's going to be a social media machine for them, though. Yeah, but I, they probably already had this tweet generated a few months ago. 100%. They got a whole team for that. So what are you thinking in terms of how this ends up? You know, I don't want to spend too much time on the U.S. because I know you're going to maybe do a solo episode in the future ranting about them for 10 minutes. But just high level, what are we thinking? England top, I'm assuming? Yep, England top. And I am kind of pessimistic. I probably have the average view of the American fan where... We haven't limped into the World Cup, but there hasn't been a ton of great showings in recent international games. But looking at the other two teams in Wales and Iran, really no easy out here. In Wales, I am deathly terrified of Gareth Bale standing over a free kick after the 80th minute against the U.S. It feels like it's going to be Cristiano Ronaldo's cross in 90-plus extra time against the U.S. all over again. Then Iran... It's kind of a wonder that they are here, given what's going on currently in the country. But given that they are, they will. I guarantee this. Whoever doesn't make it out of the group other than Iran, their trip is going to be spoiled by Iran. Yeah. Just stealing a draw or getting three points. It really just comes down to hopefully that's against Wales and not the U.S. But it really seems like a 50-50 between us and Wales for that second spot. Yeah, and Iran will probably finish last, but like you said, they're going to get a result out of someone. Like, they will. They're they're not a bad team at all. They got Sardar Azmoon up top. He's going to cause some issues for any defender. If he's allowed to go, though, because again, oh, not to he? make this political, but he made comments against the Iranian government like, hey, let's not kill young women who are protesting. Fair. And within two days, he had one of those apologies that looked like, there were some uh, back-channeling back done by the government. So last I saw, it wasn't even sure that he'd be there. But regardless, up top, Medi Taremi of Porto. He puts in goals for a living in Portugal. Jahan Bosch, who plays for Feyenoord. And then Ali Halizade. Just watched him twice for Sporting Chalera. But he's got a left foot that could scare me about 60% as much as Gareth Bale as well. So wow. I'm terrified. Yeah, no, it's it's a scary group. It's pretty solid, and it just feels like England top and the rest were just kind of gambling. It's 50-50 if we're going to make it. So really rooting for the U.S., but we're a little pessimistic. Should we take it to Group C? Before we take it to Group C, for the people who don't follow international football as much, Gareth Southgate, the manager of England, very interesting the role that this one man plays in English society. You know, yes, he is a coach. But he's also part Condoleezza Rice a little bit, you know, like a shorter modern day Abe Lincoln, but still repping those 19th century teeth a little bit. As they do in England. As, <laughs> maybe it's not just a Gareth problem, but Gareth and probably a few other managers in this tournament, it seems like for better or for worse, this is probably going to be his last tournament. And it's either going to be him finally reaching triumph after England lost the Euro final. Or he's going to be holed up in his house for the next 8 to 12 months. Probably sad. He might be exiled, frankly, from England. Yeah, I, I like that you compared him to the Kardashians. Because it is like that level of drama. Anytime he picks a squad, everyone has an opinion. And it's usually just over one or two players that they want in or out. But this man 
fuels a lot of the front page news in England. But at the end of the day, people can hate on him as much as they want, but he is a half-decent manager and puts together a good tournament team, and they're going to make it out of this group and probably go further. So, Yep, I think that's enough on England. Next up, Group C. I think we should move quickly through this group <laughs> because it is boring. We got Argentina, one of the favorites, the South American Giants, Saudi Arabia, not so giant, Mexico, and Poland. Right off the top, Argentina's finishing top. This is the lock of the century. Yep. Probably minus 1,000 on your sports book. And I think Poland's got to be the favorite for number two. I'm sure Mexico will put up a fight, but Saudi Arabia, bottom of the group, easy, enough said. Sadly, Saudi Arabia, they probably will be last. But I think going forward, maybe next World Cup, if we can legislate it in time, if you are a country that Sovereign Wealth Fund owns a team, you should be able to take at least one of your players from that team and nationalize them on a World Cup. Miggy Almiron should be at this World Cup. Mm. Bruno Guimaraes will be at this World Cup, but should be playing for Saudi Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> Just some thoughts going forward. Who knows, but a lot like Qatar, there's a lot of international players who have been given a bag of cash and Saudi Arabian citizenship in exchange for making it to these big national tournaments. So maybe they'll surprise us. Probably not. Probably not. But I would say of these teams, I trust them the most to get the refs their cash in time. That's for sure. If I had to taper a little bit of the pessimism, I'm actually very bullish on Poland. Okay? Lewandowski up top. Frankly, has had a miserable time with the Poland national team colloquially known as the White Eagles. No, that is not a white nationalist group headquartered in northern Idaho. That is the nickname for the Poland national team, White Eagles. Seems a little dated. It does. It does, surely. But looking at the rest of this team, there's some young poles. You could hoist yourself up on these poles and do some dances, frankly. Sebastian Szymanski. Don't know if I pronounced it right, but I love this man. Having seen him played a total of five times for Feyenoord, he looks to be the future of this Polish national team. A left foot that God gave him that will make him tens of millions of dollars over his career. He's a short attacking midfielder, can also play out on the wings. But his torn up Eredivisie with Feyenoord, after going through the Legia Warsaw Academy in Poland, going through Moscow, a standout there as well. He's been getting a lot of minutes for this team, and he's one of my picks for breakout star. So just watch him. He's a short, slight little man hovering between midfield and wing, but I think he's going to get a few assists, and Italy seems like a good place for him to go in the next 12 months. And maybe Feyenoord can make some money off of him on the back of this tournament. So look out for Sebastian Szymanski. Speaking of young Poles, we got to pour one out for Jakob Motor because he should be here with us. One of my favorite youngsters on the continent of Europe, but his ACL is still broken or otherwise mangled. So apologies, Jakob. I hope they fly you out here on the White Eagle plane, <laughs> but we miss you, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. And if I could pick one other potential breakout star from this group, I do want to mention Enzo Fernandez, who is a 21-year-old midfielder, came from Argentina, now is playing for Benfica in the Portuguese League. And they're dominating the domestic league. And they topped 
PSG in the UCL group, which is no small feat. This guy was signed from River Plate for 12 mil, which is a lot of money to spend on a relative unknown in a league on a different continent. But this guy is pure class. I give it 18 months or less before he goes somewhere else for 50 mil. Just take a look at his FB ref. It is disgusting. He is the top percentile for passes completed, progressive passes, pass success rate. He's one of the most active and precise passers in Europe. Not to mention he's also in the top 1% for goal involvement, shots, shot creating actions, progressive passes. I just listed every stat there is <laughs> for a midfielder to possibly do. He's going to be all over the place. I think he should get a decent amount of minutes, even if it is more rotational. Yes, he's been absolutely filthy this year. And it says a lot when you're less than six months into your contract at a new team. And already the big clubs are looking to buy him. Man U, I think Real Madrid, insert like three other huge clubs, have all been rumored with getting this guy in January. It all just speaks to the class that he has and... Check out his highlights. He does it all. Smooth passer, an operator in the midfield, but also can just bang out from outside of the box. So if anyone is going to have a James Rodriguez level volley banger in this tournament, I think it could be Enzo Fernandez from deep calling a shot and coming up clutch for Argentina. So that's one to watch out for. Mexico, not a lot to say on this team. I think somehow their fan base has been more miserable than the U.S. They limped in through the World Cup qualifying process in CONCACAF. Seems like people want to take their national team manager's head out on a stake. The only thing we really can expect from Mexico is that Guillermo Ochoa, the goalkeeper, will turn into Superman during this tournament because that's basically what he's done at every major tournament before this. So that's your cue when watching Mexico if you decide to do that. Expect big saves. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend turning on though. No, no. A lot of games here, folks. You got to pick and choose your spots. For better or worse, I'm not going to be watching a ton of Mexico unless they're playing the White Eagles. Yeah, let's move on to Group D then because this is a little more exciting. We have France, Denmark, Tunisia, and Australia. France and Denmark, obviously clear favorites. France for the past decade, decades, has had the most stacked and deep team you could imagine. They could field three separate teams that could compete for this World Cup. But for whatever reason... They often choke at times, as they have in the Euros against Switzerland. Overlook them winning the last World Cup. Yeah, but, you know. They, they are always perennially favorites. Yeah. For sure. They've, they've underperformed recently. And, yeah, it just seems like the general media kind of has them written off a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see the newer generation be ushered in. You got the Real Madrid boys in midfield. Chuameni, Kamavinga. Also, Saliba. That's going to be why we're watching. He's been absolutely torrid in defense for Arsenal. Started to solidify himself in the French squad as well. He's the young Virgil van Dyke, Nigel Longwyke. Already looks like one of the best in the world. I just wonder if people are shorting France too much. Maybe this is what they need to fly under the radar a bit. You got Benzie still, right? He's going to be fit for the tournament, I think. Yeah. Mbappe. The team can do it. It's just... Not the France of past, I guess. Hand up here, I pride myself on being a total cosmopolitan when it comes to football, knowing as much as I can about different leagues and countries. But Tunisia is not one of those that I cover regularly (laughs) as part of my work of faking injuries. All I know about them is there's a guy named Hannibal Medjbri, 
And he's got cool fucking hair. So can you remind me? Because I think you covered Tunisia a little bit more. Where did they make it in AFCON? So they made it out of the group in AFCON and actually, I think, overperformed people's expectations. The big drama, though, was the first game of their group. They played Mali. And if you remember, there was a lot of games with refereeing controversy in AFCON. This one was the biggest because the ref decided to blow the whistle in the 85th minute. Then he decided that was a poor decision, changed his mind, then blew the whistle in the 89th minute. If you don't know, it's supposed to be a 90-minute game plus extra time. (laughs) He was blowing it like maybe 10 minutes early. We speculated on this before, but we just think he really needed to take a shit and just get out of there. He wanted to end that game as quickly as possible, but they won that game 1-0. And partly thanks to the ref, but partly thanks to a half-decent squad they put together. So we'll see what they can do. Not expecting a ton against France and Denmark, though, because they're elite teams. Do we expect Tunisia to be competing with Qatar and Saudi Arabia as far as number of bags of cash dropped off to referee dressing rooms? I don't know if they can compete with that oil money, you know? I just, I don't know. No oil in Tunisia these days? I'm sure they have oil, but there's no way it's at the same same depth of Saudi okay. Arabia. Yeah, maybe they can't compete with the oil supplies of those rich countries, but as far as this team goes, I'm optimistic about them. And maybe there's one other 18-year-old, heaven forbid a 17-year-old Tunisian that can really just become our other poster boy of this great country. But we don't expect that. And maybe they'll get one point, two points. Yeah, probably over under 0.5 points. Um, <laughs> let's round out this group, though. Denmark, a lot of people's dark horse in this tournament, as they are in a lot of tournaments because they play great football, a lot of stars throughout the team. How are you feeling about them? Do you hold that sentiment as well? Before I get into my worries, because I do have a few, I do love this team. I love this country's domestic league. I love this country's healthcare policies. I love Denmark for a lot of reasons. Look at the defense. You got Joachim Anderson from Crystal Palace of the Premier League. Andreas Christensen. Sure, he's left Chelsea to do better things at Barcelona, but that's okay with you. Doing well. Quality player also in defense. Christian Eriksen, though he is probably their best player, he is the reason for my concern because I worry this national team used up all of its cosmic juju or karma when he literally died on the field of the last major tournament and was reincarnated, resurrected, whatever whatever have you, on the pitch. So yes, I think they make it out of the group, but when it comes to 50-50, luck incidents in the knockout levels of this tournament, I worry the ball is just going to go the other way because God's going to look down from above and say, you have Christian still. It's time for someone else. Yeah, yeah, they're a good squad, though. I mean, you didn't mention, but Hoiberg, too, is one of the better holding midfielders in this tournament, and they're going to be hard for any team to go up against in the knockout stages. So I think they could make a run, but it really just depends who they get picked to play in the later stages. Let's take it to Group E then. Yeah, let's totally skip Australia because we did our best to bullshit about Tunisia. We knew one player. I'm not sure our knowledge extends that far or no. that our knowledge cares to extend that far about Australia. Ange Postacoglu, only Australian in football we care about. Yep, we love Big Ange at Celtic, but let's take it to Group E, which consists of two traditional powerhouses, Spain and Germany. Japan, one of the... 
rising stars, you could say, mm-hmm. in this tournament, as well as Costa Rica, which we don't expect to make it too far. Hey, they've been doubted before, as we saw in 2014. <laughs> could they somehow make an even crazier run out of Group E? Probably not, but we might need to sprinkle a little something there. Yeah, I think off the top we have to address that we've had a, um anti-Spain narrative throughout this podcast's history. We don't love La Liga. We don't love Barcelona. But they're a good team. We ought to give them credit where it's due. They're a good team. With that being said, we want them knocked out of this tournament. As soon as possible. As soon as possible. We want Japan to take over because they're so much fun to watch. And they got a lot of stars that we like to watch in Europe. I'm going to throw it to you because you're our local Japanese player expert on this podcast. Charlie, you'll never know how much that compliment means to me. Being affiliated with this Japanese national team, there is no greater honor, frankly, because make no mistake about it, this team might win this World Cup. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I did not expect that to come out of your mouth. I didn't either. And then (laughs) I stepped to this microphone and it came to me from on high. Frankly, this Japanese generation is so exciting. They bring so much joy, not only to me, but an aging Japanese country. Cairo Matoma, a lot of crossover here because we are huge Brighton fans. Add in the Japanese element. I think he could be the potential breakout star of this tournament. Been in great form with Brighton. It was his two goals that pushed Japan through qualification to be here. So he's a big part of this setup. You've also got Daichi Kamada of Frankfurt, who's been in toward form as well. Goals and assists for them. And this country did really well in the last World Cup. They were up 2-0 on Belgium in the round of 16. And in the last four years, it seems like there's been an absolute onslaught of players continuing to make the move from Japan to Belgium, Netherlands, and Germany. So this team's added a lot of class and pedigree, if that's what you associate playing professional European football with. So I'm just praying that this narrative can merge perfectly with our anti-Spain narrative and Japan will make it through and qualify at the expense of country that should be probably known more for its amazing tapas than its football. (laughs) And to go further, should we do a tattoo bet if Spain wins this tournament? Because they're probably top five favorites. Yeah, I'm willing to do it. I thought maybe getting like Marco Salonzo's face on each of our left cheeks wow. would be left cheek. You know, you understand what I'm saying there. What about a, a Barcelona ultra tattoo? Oh, God. The club we hate the most. It's tough because sometimes I think, are we going too hard on this country? It's a language that's kind of easy to learn. Do we need to be burning this bridge like the conquistadors before us? If I had to find an angle that we can kind of navigate out of here, we don't like Catalonia, right? I mean, that's Barcelona, Central. They want to be their own country anyway. So it's really anti-Catalan first, but since they are still part of that country, it just has to extend to Spain because they're condoning Barcelona's incompetence. Yeah. Does that work? Yeah. I mean, it's just safe to say that FC Barcelona is our least favorite club in the world. Um which is great because we rule out a huge amount of potential listeners right off the bat. Um, yeah. But we're okay with that. We are. We are. I mean, the pie of non 
Barcelona fans, Barcelona haters, probably bigger, maybe not. Maybe not. So we've talked Japan and Spain. What about Germany? Because I know you've got some thoughts on the country of my origin. Yeah, Germany is my favorite for the tournament. I'm picking it now. I'm probably going against logic and not going for the South American teams here. But at plus 1,000, I think this is the best bet you can make to win the tournament. I think they have easily one of the best managers in the tournament in Hansi Flick, who won the treble with Bayern Munich not too long ago. I just trust this team in single knockout stages. Essentially, the whole squad is made up of Bayern Munich players. Very resolute. They have the chemistry and the German efficiency to go along with it. And they're just solid at defending. Their midfield as well. Kimmich, Gretzka, Gundogan, and Müller. That has to be one of the best in the tournament, hands down. They all pretty much play together or have played together at some point. And the attack could really heat up too. You have Musiala, who's becoming world-class this season, to be honest, up front for Bayern Munich. Cannot stop scoring. Nabri and Sané are essentially impossible to defend one-on-one, especially against a Costa Rican defender in the group stages. <laughs> but not Japan. Not, not Japan. Here at Tomiyasu. I'm not going to slander Japan. But, I mean, even players like Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, who have been relatively disappointing the last, shite. Shite, the last few years, usually turn up for Germany and score a ton of goals. So, I really trust it. They got a lot of players here for the first time. Yusufa Makoko, the 17-year-old is playing in the team. Allegedly. Allegedly 17. And it's also worth noting that they're bringing back Mario Goetze, which I just think is a full circle narrative. Once their hero, but a player who hasn't been in the national team since 2017. And he's had quite the renaissance in the last Mm -hmm. two years. I just love this team. I think they have great chemistry. So many of them have played together for so long. And they're just going to come with that German efficiency, and they're going to knock out these teams one by one all the way to the final. That's my pick. Plus 1,000. Throw your life savings on it. And if we're going to be correct in totally writing off the hopes of Brazil and Argentina, we need Hansi and the boys to show up mm-hmm. once again. They've done it before, and maybe this is why they brought Mario Goza back, just to crush Argentina's hopes one more time. Yeah, you, you, are you believing in it? Are you going to throw a little money on it too? I'll, I'll sprinkle some. Okay, you got to support me in my views. Yep, I'll support you. Shall we take it to the group of death? If we can call it that. Let's take it there. <laughs> group F, consisting of Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. I'll tee it to you here. Clear favorites? Any spicy takes? What are you thinking about when you look at Group F? Yeah, I feel like this has to be the hardest group. I know there's no true group of death. This World Cup, it's pretty balanced throughout, I would say. But I have no idea what teams will make it out of this group. Mm-hmm. And that is what makes me think it's the most competitive group out there. I could see Belgium choking, as good as they are. Number two in the FIFA rankings. Always good internationally. But then when it comes to tournaments, they usually shit the bed. The golden generation is getting older. Company's gone. De Bruyne's getting older. Mertens... The defense, which, you know, has long been Vertonghen and Alderweireld. Also getting geriatric in its core. It's been interesting to see the youth that they've sprinkled in, though. Yeah. Kind of at each line, you've got Charles de Cadillaire, who's currently playing at Milan. He brings some youth on the forward line. I don't know if Big Rom, what his situation is. Usually turns out for Belgium when fit. 
So those two could be a menace and the attack. The midfield is in good hands. Anytime Kevin De Bruyne suits up in your kit, usually a good thing. I really like seeing how far Amadou Onana's come. Been a revelation for Everton and in the World Cup qualifying latter stages, UEFA Nations League has been playing a lot more in this squad. Can just wreck the midfield, adds a lot of athleticism that we haven't seen with an aging Raja Nangolin, Hans Van Aken, etc. I said the defense is old, but we've got a 19-year-old, probably the next promising Belgian center back, Zeno DeBas, to watch. Currently playing a lot for Anderlecht. has already capping them at 19. So that's future captain energy. If you're looking for a player who's going to come on the scene, probably move to a big club in the next 12 months, that's my angle from Belgium. Yeah, I like it. They're an incredible squad, but you never really know with them. And the rest of the group is tough. Croatia, always a tough team to play in a tournament. With the midfield of Kovacic, Modric, and Brozovic, they could dominate any team in the midfield and overrun them. Runners up in the last World Cup, they've got the experience. Yeah, they always give teams a tough time. So I could see them finishing top. I could even see them finishing bottom of this Mm -hmm. group. That's why it's such an insane group. And Canada should be the worst on-paper squad in this group, despite having a pretty decent last year. You know, they've looked good several different times. I think if Alfonso Davies can't play, though, that's a big miss, and he's really the star of the squad, so his injury could really hamper their chances of getting out. But you also have Jonathan David, one of the more elite strikers in Europe right now. He's going to score goals, so... They're going to get results from someone. Yeah, definitely star power with Davies and David. But hate to be a little prideful here. I, I think I am the resident CONCACAF World Cup qualifying expert. And watching Canada during that process, there is something magical going on with this squad. First time they've qualified in God knows how long. There are European players mixed in, but a lot of MLS players as well. But there's some weird spiritual juju going on in this squad. It's cold in Canada. It's cold in Iceland. Iceland made a huge run in the Euros a while back. I worry that Canada, our neighbors, they could make a run at the U.S.'s expense and that there's going to be memes and jokes to last another four to eight years. So I'm kind of afraid of how good this team can be. But like you said, the nature of this group, they could finish last with zero points as well. Yep. And to round it out, Morocco, I think, are easily one of the most underrated teams in this tournament. If you just look at their squad, top to bottom, there are players from the best clubs in Europe. And that's kind of what you look for. If all of these guys are playing at the top level, it could very well translate to tournament football. you got Nayef Aguerd from West Ham and Hakimi and Mazraoui rounding out the back line, which is a scary back line to come against. And... You mix in guys like Amrabat from Fiorentina in the midfield, and they have Enesri, who loves to score for Sevilla. I just think it's well-balanced. They've played really well outside of tournaments named AFCON 2021, (laughs) and they're ranked highly for a reason and could even finish top. Not going to lie, I forgot about the Zen Buddhist midfielder Amrabat for Fiorentina. I watched him in a friendly against the U.S., and the way he goes about his craft is just impressing. So if you're a lover of CDMs who do dirty work, if you like Jao Polina for Fulham, you're going to love Amrabat. And 
you'll probably have a fat head poster of him by the end of this tournament. So just watch him. And he's got a dumpy on him. <laughs> oh, he, yep. He's got a certified Moroccan Brazilian butt lift. Classic crossover there in the ass region of Amrabat. BBL season. <laughs> <laughs> if they win this tournament, <laughs> <laughs> he, if they win this tournament, he's going to insist the rest of the teammates get BBLs. Too. Yeah, yeah. He's not carrying the team on his back. He's carrying the team <laughs> on his, his BBL. <laughs> we love you, Ami. So Group F, in a tournament without a group of death, this is our pseudo group of death. Group G probably would also like to fight for that nickname, but let's run through it quicker. It looks star-studded at the outset, but it's low-key more boring than it looks. Is, do you share my assessment, or do you want to spend a lot of time on this one? No, I don't want to spend a lot of time. Brazil, obviously going to finish top. Serbia, the worry with them is that Mitrovic might be out for a Extended period of time, he's their goal scorer. But you got Vlavic. You got Vlavic, though. But that, too, would be unbelievable, oh, Vlavic yeah. and Mitro. Twisty, twisty. Twisty, twisty. <laughs> Switzerland upset France in the Euros, but they're generally unimpressive to me, and I think there's a lot of luck involved with that type of result. Yep, the goalie always saves them, Jan Sommer. He's out. We can throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, and you might not agree with me, but I think Cameroon is the worst of the African teams in this list. I just like top to bottom of their squad, and they don't have a lot of great players at top clubs in Europe, and I just don't trust them. I don't trust their manager. I don't even know who he is. <laughs> you just don't trust him? <laughs> just don't trust him. I don't like the look of him. In a footballing sense, or what? <laughs> yeah, no, I just don't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like this group. I don't like the look of it. I think Brazil are going to just dominate probably Serbia for a second, but I'm not too confident. One saving grace for Cameroon, an angle if you're a Premier League fan to watch, Brian Mbomo of Brentford, the man who probably has the highest difference between his expected goals and his actual goals, set records for how many times he can hit the crossbar in each post, but we love him. Unbeknownst to us, until about four days ago, he switched his allegiance from France to Cameroon just in time to show up with the boys to the World Cup. So him, Abubakar, who was tearing shit up at AFCON, that's the only reason I have to believe that maybe they can squeak in second. But I'm really hoping the boys of Serbia can get this done, put the Soviet days behind them once and for all. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't expecting that. Rounding it out. With Group H, a group you love a lot more than I do. And for each of us agreeing there is no group of death, we've fought a lot about which is the group of death. So the floor is yours. Please try to convince us why this is the group of death. Yeah, this is the group of death part two. (laughs) (laughs) We got Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and South Korea. Portugal, always a strong squad. Kind of like France, just very deep too. You know, you trust anyone on their bench to come on and make a huge difference. And Cristiano will turn up for the World Cup, let's be honest with ourselves. Ghana, I think, could be on the up as one of the African teams in this tournament. Uruguay, we got Darwin Nunez. We got quality all over the pitch. I think they're going to give a lot of teams issues, and I think they're definitely getting out of this group, maybe at the top. And then South Korea, if Son decides to show up with one eye, I still think they can get some results here. It feels like a dangerous group. And maybe it is that. I don't think it's a group of death, but 
fine, what have you. When I think of Korea specifically here, I'll, I'll start with the Korean angle. I wonder, how do you motivate a Hyunmin son, albeit Hyunmin son with only one eyeball, right? On this Korean national team, he's already managed to avoid the 21-month mandatory military service by winning the Asian Games. What's next for him? He doesn't have anything else to achieve that has real tangible benefits for his future. I think first, it's not a bag of cash you're going to drop off. It's like either he becomes prime minister of Korea or he gets to join BTS. One of the two. I've got a feeling he really wants to join BTS. The K-pop group for the uninitiated. Yes. I have a hard time believing our listeners don't know of BTS. Just check out the music video, Boy With Love, L-U-V. You'll know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And I think you'll agree Hyunmin Sun should be in the music video. You know, I think he's pulling pretty well, though. I would rather him become South Korea prime minister. Yeah. Wow. He'd probably be the world's handsomest prime minister at that point. He'd look good in a turtleneck with some glasses on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ghana, I'm not quite as bullish on, though you are. They've added some recent players like Tariq Lamptey, switched from England Allegiance, and Yaki Williams as well. Plays for Athletic Bilbao, quality player in La Liga. We don't say that often. They also got Salisu, you know, locking it down the back. And Kudus, who's completely popped off at Ajax this year. So they have the star power to surprise teams. It's just they haven't really put it all together yet. And is this the tournament that they can do that in? So I'm almost 100% sure you don't know this manager as well. But do you trust him? I trust him. (laughs) (laughs) So that's Justin. You trust the unnamed Ghanaian national team manager. What's your official prediction in this group? Portugal in it first? I actually think this might be the tournament where they really fuck up. So while that would be, if I was a betting man on this group, probably what I would do, there's always one of these big powerhouses that drops out for no reason and just has a horrible tournament and loses a bunch of games. As it goes, their squad is, I think that could be Portugal this year. So I'm predicting them to finish third. First and second? I got... I think Uruguay. I think Uruguay finishes first. first. I think they're the best team in this group, potentially. And second, I'll go South Korea. Okay, wow. So bold, but I like it. You trust the Ghana national team manager, but he is going to lead them to a fourth place finish. Uh, Sorry, yeah. We'll put Portugal fourth and Ghana third. Cristiano going out with a bang in fourth place. (laughs) Yep. Check the odds on that one, folks. Charlie's been hot recently, so... Yeah, I just... Uh, I think we just got to Group H, and I haven't given a really spicy take yet. So <laughs> I decided to spice it up for Group H. Well, that's it. We've talked about all groups, some in more detail than others, some with more research and journalism, respect than others. It may not have been perfect, but we have created the most comprehensive preview. Charlie... Anything else you want to say about this tournament? How are you feeling? Does your excitement match mine? I'm so pumped. It's going to be great. It's going to be hard to watch all these games, but I'm going to try my best to watch every single one. Like you said, this is the most comprehensive guide out there. No one else is going on the tangents, the random bets, and the spicy takes that we have here at Faking Injuries. As always, be sure to check us out on Spotify and at Twitter at Faking Injuries. Give us a follow. Give us a review. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Bye. Thanks, guys. Love you. Bye.